Welcome to the Next Step Podcast with Jay. And Brad. Wait. Wait. I'm Brad. I'm Jay. I'm an All act. Right. All right. How's it going, buddy? Super good, Brad. How you doing? Good. How's that beef jerky taste? It's really good. <laughs> it is sweet and spicy. I want to give a little plug out for J and K beef jerky. Oh, Very nice. sweet. All right. A little so you're, processed. You're gonna take some sips of water probably to wash this down. Yep. No, I like to go with the tangy barbecue in my mouth. All right. What's up? Uh, what are we doing uh, here? Oh, look, we're doing a podcast. All right. You look sweet. tan. What's up? I look. Has I the look surf tan. gotten better? The surf has uh, not locally here in Southern Orange County. However, I drove a little bit farther south to San Diego County. Based on whose tip? Um, based on your tip, Brad. Okay, thank you. Okay, Brad's been around a lot longer than me. Well, I went there Monday. Yeah, that's right. You did score on Monday. Yeah, you scored. I don't think I scored, but uh, it was bigger than around here, and it was real fun. When you have two weeks of flatness, yeah, like, and you get a wave, it's scoring. I love how you're claiming in the group text, like, dude, it's going off. And I'm like, it's two to three. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, to, to stand, stand corrected for yourself here, I'm telling you what, I had some shoulder-high sets for sure. I know. And if anyone was at Cardiff Reef today, they will attest the guy with the stash and the beard, who's very, it's very thin, but it's coming in, actually was not only hanging 10 from the point all the way to the inside, but switched out, got a little 5-2 uh, little little surfboard and took that Did thing out there. on humility this week? Or we no, no, we're not. Okay, 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 Wait till that comes. Keep going. Um, uh, and I went out there with the hopes, step two, right, um, <laughs> of catching some good waves. I was crushing it. Basically, what I'm trying to say is I ripped. I had a great day there. Okay, good. I was out there for way too uh, long. But here's your text. We got some waves coming, baby. Hands up in the air. And the forecast is two to three foot. Yeah, yeah. Two know, to three like, all week. It's just funny because you'd be so bummed out. Like If this, three, if this was a ago. month ago, yeah, yeah, like we'd be freaking out right now. I'd be like, I want some waves. Which, by the way, Saturday... This week in San Diego County, it's going to be 4 to 5, and nice. on Sunday, 3 to 4, and Monday, 2 to 3 again. All right. So okay. Looking a little bit better. Might be a little Chris- some- Christmas miracle. A little cr- that, that would be great. You'll be in Mexico, right? I will be. We'll be uh, headed down to uh, build some how we're changing up our Christmas, and we're leaving Christmas Day, and we're headed down to this little village and this group called Family Helping Families, uh, FHF. And we're going to go build some cinder block houses for some people that, with them. That's awesome. That uh, basically live on the train tracks. And this group has identified, and they go down every year on Christmas Day. And we basically we put, give them the money to buy all the materials. And then we put ourselves up in a, in a, in a, in a hotel place. down there. And then my family, my kids would go to work for three or four days building these houses. So, what an experience. Yeah. I wish I would have saw that as a kid. Like other countries, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I was so so sheltered in the outside world. Totally. Um, so that's that. Um, so we talked about some news. Uh, let's first go our weekly podcast update. Mm-hmm. Can you name the, what do you think is our top country out of the U.S.? Top country, Tonga. Tonga is not even on the radar. Dang it. Where are you at, Tonga? Come I on. Know, Tonga, come on. But Vietnam is we still, know you got is now second. And new on the list, Mexico. Mexico. Yeah, so maybe uh, my peeps down where I'm building a house have heard it. Yeah, or know. where we go and surf in the summer. Maybe they're catching on to the gringos. Could be. Could be. We're trying to spread it out through our own network. So we do need you, if you're listening, to uh, post this up on your social media and 
Share about let, it. Let people know about it. Top city in the United States. That is West Covina. West Covina. California's got it. I have a couple there. clients out there. Huh? Do you? Yeah. Maybe yeah. you're talking it up. Yeah, then, yeah. I do uh, share Salt with Lake, everyone. Salt Lake's number two this time. Boom. So we do crack uh, the Salt Lake Valley. We appreciate you, those in Salt Lake. I think I have some family members maybe be tuning in out there. So Hopefully, it's we're growing past our uh, our social network. Yeah. Well, I know, just say I noticed recently some of my family. I'll also get a text from a friend or someone yeah. I didn't know was listening, a yeah. relative that I had no idea, or my wife's. Yeah. When you guys can update another one, so <laughs> sorry about that. We're, we're, we're working. We're a little slack uh, behind, but we're, we should actually next week. I'm gonna be in Mexico. We might be a little late next week, uh, but we hope to, first of the year we'll be banging one out every every week. Yep. Hey, look at this picture of this dude. I think Jay's growing his beard and his mustache, and I'm about to show him a picture of some guy. I look like I a think, pirate right now. What, who I think he wants to look like. Let's see. Let's see. That guy right there. Oh, that's pretty nice. Yeah. Fade. The fade. Yeah, I like the, the hair, fade. I like the, the fade. Beard. I like that. His stash isn't more defined. No, his stash is pretty weak. I want, I want, I want like a black, you know what I mean? Like, I want a pirate stash. Like, it looks, tell him what it looks like right now. It, like, I'm throwing some wax in there. I actually have handlebars it, coming up. There's a guy that uh, I see at this a racket club I uh, <laughs> attend, and he has wax that's like three inches out. That's what I'm going for. Yours is about three millimeters. Three. Uh, probably two centimeters. My uncle Dwayne Merrifield, a shout out. I doubt he's listening, but Dwayne. Uh, dude, that guy, he's a bull rider, professional bull rider, retired, right? Wow. Arizona, okay. Okay, lives right. in Arizona. That thing is three inches out. I'm a real man. I mean, makes. Can you send me a picture of him? Yeah, well, I will pull him up right now while okay. we're sitting here talking. You don't need to right now. But no, just... no, no. You got to see this because okay. while we're on the podcast, I mean, people want to hear this. It's going to take like. No, it's not. Okay, do you know who Bry this Bryce Harper is? Bryce Harper, yeah. Who is he? Uh, Bryce Harper. I know Bryce Harper. He's a sport dude. I know Bryce Harper. Okay. okay, yeah. He's on the, the Nationals. Yes, yes. Oh, that's okay. So, so my Is that Lexi's baseball or football. Baseball. Okay. Um, he's a pitcher. No. Yes. Dude, look at Dwayne's mustache. Yeah, look at we got to post this up on. The, look at that. Is he any public photos we can post on our show notes? Um, I don't know. I'm sure he can post. He posts these. This is my uncle that I wanted to be like when I was a kid. He was okay. so cool. He come over for Christmas, you know, the holidays, and. uh and he teach me how to rope and everything. He's uh, a retired bullfighter, like uh, bull, bull rider. Wow. Okay, I like him. Bad A. But All Bryce right. Harper, Lexi's uh, brother, who lives in Salt Lake. So if you're listening, shout out to Cruz. Um, their whole family—they're all baseball players, and they love Bryce Harper. Okay, I'm not a baseball fan, but I did see he was He's all over the sport. Yeah, that uh, he a little bit a wild. Big, He's big, a wild man. Big news that he posted up his photos of him getting married outside the San Diego Temple. And so I came all the way Fox, here. Fox nice. Sports, you know, ESPN, all that, and. They got their wedding photos up on the sites. Um, yeah, it is Bryce. So that's cool. I thought he looked familiar. Can you show me? That's cool, man. Yeah. He's a wild man. But he's, Hopefully he's, not anymore. No, no. I mean, I mean, he's, he's a wild player. Yeah, yeah. He's very colorful Okay. in the sport, which is good. You need that in sports. Uh, that's next, cool. Next uh, news of article is there is a, uh, I was browsing religion news service, okay. RNS. Have you been reading that lately? No. Okay. I don't read, but okay. I know. So, uh, religionnews.com. Sorry, English teachers. And uh, it caught my eye when Mormons first attended Harvard. What? And, uh, Who was the first Mormon, did they say? They don't say by name, okay. but uh, it was a, a book about uh, the Ivy League schools and about how uh, when the Saints moved back to Utah, they you know, it was highly encouraged to send them back east to attend the Ivy League schools. And in my... Uh, uh, my defense of the church, the the detractors of the church always point out how, you know, we're brainwashed, we're uneducated, yeah. and this and that. 
Um, and this article is just about how the early saints, as far as 1800s, late 1800s, were were attending the Ivy Leagues. Um, wow. And then I uh, jumped on to, uh, there was a couple articles a while back about the correlation between education and church attendance. And the more educated you are, the act actually more active you become in the LDS church. Wow. And most other faiths doesn't follow that trend, but actually LDS church, the more edu- more formally educated you are, the higher your activity in the church. That. I remember in institute, there were stories about like uh, professors, and I don't have them by name, but I used to have them all memorized, but there were certain people that had went out to study the Book of Mormon to disprove it, mm-hmm. and they actually ended up joining Yeah, because of the consistencies in the right. writings. I think uh, a lot of Christendom has a lot of inconsistencies, and yeah. because of the apostasy, it yeah. kind of falls away. So here are some stats that pulled up um, that uh, 88% of LDS scientists are fully active in the church. Um, wow. Very strong testimony. You know, they're wow. over 80, 80, 90%. Very strong testimony of Joseph Smith was inspired by God. Um, and then you can see this chart here. I'll post it up on the show notes uh, about other faiths, you know, higher than any other faith as far as of scientists. Um the church pushes education. Totally. I never like even it. thought about education until I went to General Conference and heard President Hingley. Yeah. Live. So, like, tell me that, that. You need to go to school. So it's kind of contrary to what the world has is like totally. we're a, an uneducated cult that, you know, don't read, don't go out there. I think there the world knows now. Like, I mean, my clients, when I talk with them in the you know, auto industry, when they when I tell them I'm Mormon, they're like, man, you guys are the most successful. You know what I mean? Like, not to brag or anything, but they're like uh, – you guys, not only are you honest, and of course there's bad apples or whatnot, but they're like, the success you guys have is unreal, and, and how educated, professional almost every member that they've known throughout their personal life. Wherever they These are from. a rough group of, uh, in the car. In the car industries, yeah. From my be, experience, yeah, it could showing be, up in they there. They could be, yeah, yeah. I mean, salty? You know how it could be. I mean, they're, 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 some of them are from the streets, and some of them are educated themselves. And, okay. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely a cutthroat sales industry, and... They love work, you know, most of them love working with me. I mean, so. Well, yep. Uh, so the claim, the conclusion of this article, I'm going to read it word for it and we'll post it up in the show notes. The conclusion, the claim that LDS, that the LDS are not educated or that we are simply uneducated dupes is demonstrably false and may reflect an underlying bigotry. Additionally, as education levels rise, so does activity in LDS church. The LDS Church promotes learning in all areas. In most cases, other criticisms against LDS scholars and LDS scholarships are not valid and are simply attempts to poison the well. Boom. So there's uh, that article. So don't let them poison your well. Uh, Lastly, I want to talk about is we're in the Christmas season. So if you're listening to this, it's probably the week before Christmas. And (laughs) Jay. Why are you taking a selfie? No, I'm not taking a selfie. I'm just, you said I look sun. I'm like, dang, did I get a lot of sun? I do feel sunburned. I feel like I'm kind of getting a headache. All right. So uh, on Deseret News, Linda and Richard Iyer wrote an article on separating Santa and getting from Jesus and giving. So uh, you've got young... My, um, I don't think my young one listens. My nine-year-old listens to the podcast. So yeah. uh, if your children are listening to this that are uh, of the age of Spoiler Santa alert. Claus, Spoiler you might alert. want to skip ahead for a few minutes. Stop it. Your kids still believe in Santa? And I almost ruined that today. We were, eating, we were eating, uh, eating breakfast, and Rusty, my son, five years old, is sitting there playing with his blocks. And, Dad, how come we can't see Santa Claus or Jesus? And I was like, but, like, Jesus is up in the clouds, and we don't really know. I mean, Santa, like, he said, I don't remember what he said exactly, but I said, well, 
out of nowhere, it just came and was like, yeah, because Jesus is real and Santa Claus isn't. Or I didn't say Santa Claus isn't, I was like, because Jesus is real. And Lexi looks at me like, are you kidding me? And luckily he was so preoccupied with his blocks that he kind of looks up, he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, I'm like, did I ever tell you about the time that I saw Santa Claus when I was a kid? Anyways, and then, and then of course, changed the subject yeah. and he followed. But anyways, what was the question originally? They believe, well, yes. They, they believe. believe it. Uh, and I've always had a tough time. I still believe. What are you talking about? You're not real? Sorry, am I breaking your, your uh, yeah. shattering your view of Santa Claus? Fun fact, though, I think this is where you're going with the article, okay? Until I first went to my Christian church uh, with a girlfriend, I was around 15 or 16 years old, I literally thought that Christmas was about Santa Claus. I had no idea <laughs> really? that there was a relationship to a really? Jesus Christ okay. or Easter. Had no idea. L- like 16 years old. Really? What are all the Christmas songs? Oh, holy. What Christmas songs? I never sang those. Like, what do you mean? I you didn't just know. heard them? When did the, we listened to them. I didn't really listen to those. I okay. listened to like Alan Chipmunk. We didn't have a Bible. Okay. Great family, great life. Yeah. Didn't have the Bible, wow. though. We didn't have that. So I literally didn't know Easter had anything to do with the Savior. I had no idea Christmas had anything which, to do with the which Savior. Which is probably a lot of kids, right? I'm especially born right here in Orange County, now. like especially in a great more, family, no yeah. addict. I mean, like living a great, wholesome life. Had no idea. I was 15. Um, so most people learn that Santa Claus is real. Like I, anyways. Yeah. Well, it was a trip. That is. That is. I mean, right? I it surprises me, yeah. but it shocked me. And I always think it's weird of how these pagan traditions have cre- they haven't crept in. They've been part of it forever. They're it. That's all I so celebrate, right? I uh, personally, I don't have an answer to this. Just comment of. When my kids kind of figured out, I just, I, I don't, I never lie to them, but I was just to change the subject. You know, what do you think? Yeah. Um, because it's kind of a weird thing that we put this, with these two, the Santa Claus and Jesus, and one's fake, and the other one is very real and very personable. And, and it's like false idols and false yeah. <laughs> It's kind of a trip, right? It's it's weird. I don't have an answer to it. Yeah, it is weird because like you but, want them but to I'm, be Santa. But I'm, I'm pat, I think this is the last Christmas I'll have to like. Worry about it. Talk about. To your grandkids. Um, yeah, because then you have that whole nother experience. Yeah, yeah, you're not gonna have so much control in teaching them things. You, you're gonna right. I'll be the grandpa. To, you'll be like, handing back to Logan. Ain't. <laughs> you're gonna be so salty. Why don't you go to your dad? I hope you grow the mustache soon. out like fully and never cut it when you're old. Right, old well, men need to have stashes. Talk to my wife about that. Okay. Well, Julie, if you're listening, let the stash grow. He's an amazing one. <laughs> Many men are jealous of such. So let's end on the new, just quick, because it's really the news, the holiday season, and tie it back into uh, the ARP podcast. The chalk walk? Wait, what? Okay, go we on. did a fabulous chalk walk. No, it's a very tough time um, for those in recovery, and though, you know, addictions come to light during the season. Why is that, Jay? Totally. I think uh, because uh, whenever an addict has to be around their family and has to be around a lot of people, because we know one of the traits of addiction, when you get active in your addiction, no matter what it is, you start to isolate, meaning like you, you can really detach yourself from those who are who want to see you succeed, like your family, and they want to ask a lot of questions about how you're doing, which they really, we know they care, but it's a, it, if you're not living the principles that are healthy and you, if you're active in your addiction, you don't like questions like that. And so when you come into the holiday season, what do you do? You're trapped in a room or a house with your family members. The fear of it being exposed. The fear of it being exposed and answering questions of why are you in the same spot of where you, right? It's like, how are you doing? You got nothing new to share. There's all sorts of things. Good, you know, there's good things and bad. So you, it's, it's scary to have to see members. And so a lot of them get loaded. A lot of us addicts, we get extremely loaded. And then sometimes it's not like a dark thing like that where it's like this depressing thing. Sometimes you just... You're an addict, an alcoholic, so you get, you know, you get more loaded because you want to enhance your experience with your family. That's your attention, but okay. instead it yeah. separates you from them. Right. You want to celebrate. 
with some yeah. eggnog. Eggnog. But all egg like on all the I TV love shows, eggnog. like spiked oh. eggnog or yeah, tasted eggnog. It's good. What are they spiked? No, never mind. We don't even talk about that. No. But all the shows, it's like I love eggnog. Did you get some, too much eggnog? And I'm like, that's the, how do you drink a lot of it? Rum, they spice it like all sorts of stuff. Okay, it's kind of gross. Yeah. I do you like have, eggnog at all? You know, I do enjoy one. I want to go buy some right now. I haven't had any this one whole year. like glass it like a mug yeah, of like it. Spice like it has a little spices. Got to be cold. Very and cold. I'm done. Like I That's all you need. One, yeah, you, and I'm like, all right, I had it for this. Let's yeah. get some on the way home. I feel it. We'll go treat each other. Come on, cheers. All right, ding. All right, so uh, that's it for the news. We're gonna uh, listen to Jay's share on step nine, restitution and reconciliation, and we'll come back that's back in after and uh, ask the addict. Jay, I'm an act. <clears throat> Grateful to be here. Um, I like that it's smaller. I mean, of course, I want more people here because I know there's people that need to be. Here, here, and uh, but when we first started coming to the meetings, it was smaller than this. I mean, we had maybe four or five of us that would go to San Clemente every week. It was like that for years, even years before I had gotten there. There was never more than I think seven people, and uh, that meeting has got up to I think over like fifty people at some time. So things things are the way they are for a reason. And and uh, sometimes when it's smaller, I know I felt really comfortable. I don't know if I would have walked into a meeting that was full of people if I would have been comfortable to share. Because I wasn't always as open with my struggles and my problems. I, when I first went to the meetings, I've shared this before, but I didn't, I didn't feel I had a problem. I felt like it was the world that had a problem with me. And, uh, you know, I just really was going 100% to, to please other people, to try to get my wife back and to try and justify that I really did want. Um, this is kind of a half half a, that's a nice way, half a way of me like showing amends. That's it. And like, that's all I went for. I didn't come because I really wanted to um, get sober. Once again, I really didn't think I had a problem in the beginning. I mean, I knew I had a problem, but I figured if I could just, I had so many justifications and so many layers of lies in my life that um, they were all there to protect my disease to keep going, right? My disease to keep escaping through drugs, alcohol, pornography, whatever it was at that time, because it, it could switch it in a moment like that. And I'd, I'm, wherever my mind wanted to go, it could go. And, um, you know, when it came to my pills, because that was what I predominantly was using when I, when I first came to my meetings, I had a prescription for one, you know, for one of those drugs, you know, but the problem was I was abusing about five different prescriptions and, you know, I didn't have prescriptions for all those. And did I, I would take, you know, the three or 400 pers- pills in, in the bottle within a week. So I would have to go to other means to get those. And it's just crazy. I've been reflecting over the last couple of weeks, having the opportunity to help, try to help other people who are struggling, well, like opiate addiction, like I was, to the worst severity that I was. It's interesting to see yourself in some, someone else's. One kid I've shared about a couple of times now, he's 20 years old, and um, to watch him just be complete lies like one minute he's honest like i'm sharing with him like hey dude i get it like this is what i've done because that's what you do when you have 12 step calls meaning when you go and meet with an addict for the first time they've never had someone meet with them they call it a 12 step call i went with another addict so i could have support and you know you're like sitting there and you're sharing your story and trying to get them to relate like look at i'm not your parent like i'm not some perfect person coming here telling what i think you should do because i read it in a book like i've lived the life you're living i've lived the lies you've you're you're telling I've, uh, you know, I've stole from my family, friends. I've, I, I would, I would do anything to get high, at one point in my life, and it didn't start that way, but it ended that way. Um, that's where my addiction had led to. And he agreed the first time, like he was just 100% agreeing, like, yeah, yeah, okay. He recognized that me and this other person, that we got it. We were just like him, and he related to us, right? We had that connection. Um, 
and we identified, I guess is the way to put it, right? He identified being an addict. Then when it came to committing him to like try and, hey, let's move forward and let's go to a meeting or let's go to a program to get you help, this is a 20-year-old heroin addict. It's not a lot of upper mobility when you're already on heroin at 20. Like, you know, they, most people just die. Like, you get to the point where then you start shooting, you stop smoking heroin, you start shooting it, or IV, and then you die. And so it went from totally, like, I'll fall, like, yeah, like, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. You're like, agreeing with us to, like, whoa, whoa, like, I'm not, whoa. Like, you know, I just want to go in today, and there was an excuse. So then, of course, he said a couple days. So then we come back in a couple days, no, I don't want to go that, and like, get out of here. And then it went from, like, you guys know everything to like you guys know nothing you're lying to me you're, you're you're trying to manipulate me as if we're getting gain like we took out a whole day of our lives me and this other guy who have, we have families and a career we took out a whole day of our life to go over there and uh it's crazy to see the layers of lies that we put up to now this goes i'm talking about opiates right now but at the same time uh if i'm addicted to hair or to, to pornography i put up lies all the time too well this is, this is a natural thing to, to have lust, and it's a natural thing, and my wife this, or my husband that, or my f boyfriend this, or my girlfriend that, or the church's rules are this, and they're, they're not really updated. Dude, I had all the lies. You can have any lie you want for your disease. And what I've noticed about my disease and the way my brain works is it creates layers. One of those layers is, is what we're talking about here, and it's that restitution and reconciliation. Um, wherever possible, make direct restitution to the persons you have harmed. My addiction led me uh, to isolate and then to cause, there was people in my life trying to help me, and then I would cause arguments, and then therefore we'd have this giant resentment, and then I would execute them from my like little circle, right? Like, you're out, you're excommunicated, or they'd excommunicate for me. There were people that kicked me out of their friendship circle because we just can't deal with this person, and we can't deal with these crazy lies and outbursts, and whatever. And this is not just with drugs. This is as if I was looking at pornography. It, 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 because you feel guilt and you feel shame, then you start acting differently. You isolate. So these things happen because of our addiction. Now, to come through and to break through this is not easy. Um, to, 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 to go to someone uh, and actually, like the part where I read, I can't remember where it was read, is the efforts to meet someone. He's like, let, let the person know who you're approaching, that you're there to make amends, and then it says respect their wishes. If they indicate that they would rather not discuss the matter, just don't do it, right? And it says give them, give yourself a, ch you know, you go there to, to apologize, to be specific. You know, it's not necessary if you don't know all the details. You know, I'm paraphrasing, and, but it just says you're not there to, to basically rationalize or tell your side of the story. You're there to just say sorry for what you did and ask for amends. If you're like me, that was, that's why I laughed when I read that. It's literally, it was a it was impossible. Like, I don't mean it was somewhat probable. It was impossible for me to admit that I had problems in every aspect. It started with one thing, and then it led into my life, and the disease got so bad that, like, I was so arrogant that when my wife had left me, and I had nothing, and I had to drop out of college, like, all these dreams I had were crumbling away because my disease of addiction, I still went to that meeting, and I judged every single person in the room that I was better than them in my mind. I couldn't admit that I was wrong. I couldn't admit that I had a problem. And, you know, at first, when I first started to real catch on that maybe I did have a problem, the first thing I wanted to do was run and go tell everyone I was sorry and I've changed. And I did that so many times that I realized that, like, you know, saying sorry is talk is cheap, right? You hear that? Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand. I'm like, well, no, Christ says apologize and you got to accept it. Seven times seven. I'm like, I got to say it, you got to accept it, you know? <laughs>
That was like my sales pitch. Once again, rationalization and justification of gospel principles, right? I would justify and rationalize anything if it meant that I would get what I wanted, which means no confrontation sometimes. Sometimes it was confrontation, and I was justified for that because of X, Y, and Z. What I realized in this program, though, when I read this step the first few times and I heard it talked about, it's not something you run and just do. If you're just coming to this program or if you're not even close to step nine, meaning you haven't done one through eight with a sponsor, don't even attempt it mm -hmm. because it will be disastrous because you're going to go to someone. And this is like, especially when it comes to like, like this, this opiate, like, like when it comes to really serious or sexual sin too because then you'll go to that person and you'll go, you, you want amends, but you, you may really just want them to not have contention with you. You don't really want to apologize. You just don't want there to be trouble anymore, so therefore you feel comfortable. Does that make sense? And then when they don't respond the way you want, it justifies you using again. It justifies you looking at porn. It justifies you committing sexual sin, eating, whatever it is your addiction is. It's all the same. And I've noticed that because my addiction has been to many things over the years. And uh, so... What I learned in this program about this step with my sponsor that changed my life was some amends cannot be made through words, but they can be made through a living amends. And that is sometimes there are people that don't want to hear from you again, and that's just the way it is, or it's not even appropriate for you to contact them. For me, we're not talking about my drug use at this time. We're talking about maybe sexual sins I had with past girlfriends in the church. Now we're all moved on and married and have families. Like, you can't go call up your ex-girlfriend you know, who's married with kids and still kind of lives in your area and say, hey, man, I just want to talk and meet up alone. You know, you just can't do that, right? You don't think I want to? Of course. Like, those are awkward things that you want to get out. Once you start to get momentum, you don't want anything in your life that's, un that's anything that, you know, you want to clear it up. But I realized and I learned that um, from my sponsor, meaning how important it is to have someone who's done this before you, is to live amends for those mistakes. And the sad part is, is when you do that, it's not always going to be right away going to change lives. It's not always, people aren't always going to see your living amends and go, he's serious this time. Because if you're like me, you've done that a million times. Remember, I went to the meeting solely, so my wife, my friend would tell my wife that I was gone. My wife wouldn't talk to me at the time, you know, for a few months. And so, but it comes over time. We have people now in our lives that wouldn't talk to me and wouldn't be around us and did not approve Lexi coming back into my life. And, and, and things are fine. And those who, who, who didn't accept those living amends, awesome. I probably wouldn't if I were them either. I didn't understand addiction. I didn't understand myself, let alone someone else with it. Remember, I was judging people when I was there. So it's like, it's okay. I don't live amends anymore for other people. I solely make amends with people is because I will die if I don't. In, in a spiritual or physical way. My disease to opiates will kill me, and my spiritual disease, if we're talking about anything else, my ego, or my rationalization, justification, or pornography, whatever it is, if I don't make amends, then guess what? I'm gonna die spiritually, and that's pretty close to physical death. It's a horrible torment feeling to not feel good with yourself and to have shame. I can't live with shame. I used to be able to hide it for so many years, and I can't live with it anymore. If I have one mistake, if I have one argument with someone, it, I, in the beginning, in the moment, I could still be hot-headed and ego, but like within a 24-hour period, I'm like, dude, i got to apologize. Like i got to figure that out. How do I get this out? Because I can't live with it anymore. I've become comfortable not having that in my life. But for so many years, I was comfortable being uncomfortable and having that chaos with relationships. I don't like that anymore. I, I, I make still mistakes all the time.
just had to do this last week. I shared in the Wednesday night meeting, literally after we read step eight last week, I remember saying, man, I'm doing good. Like, I got no contention. And then what election happens? I get in a fight with someone over Facebook who's a friend of a friend of a friend in this little group. And uh, I antagonized him out of a joking manner. And then, and then he snapped, and rightfully so. Like, if someone's emotional, and I saw that. And instead of, like, stopping, I did it. I messed up, you know. And, like, I right after, I mean, we're talking 24 to 48 hours after I sat here and said, I have no arguments in my life, and it feels great. I even talked to Brad about this. And then, and then I go out and do it. See, it's life lessons, right? They're in session, as we say. As we say. And it's progress, not perfection. I, hopefully, I've had a chance to apologize. Now, to be honest, that person hasn't accepted that apologize yet. But it says right here, I don't have to worry about that. I just got to be honest and live in amends. So if I really am serious, then maybe I won't go do that with someone else. If I go do it with someone else, that means I'm not really living in amends, right? It means I'm just still contentious, right? And so... I love this program. I love when there's a few of us here because it made me more comfortable to share. And I hope it does for you too. This time is yours. It's not just mine to sit here and babble. Um, I feel better when I share. I hope you do too. And uh, <coughs> it's a good environment to, to get it out. And you don't have to have profound things to say. You can. I used to just share how crappy I thought my life was. That's all I used to share. And it worked because four years later, I've stayed sober. Thank God. And I'm grateful for you guys, and I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. some questions for you around enabling okay and hey parker gentry what's up bro what's up parker okay sorry it's our first time living and we're podcasting. excited okay so i got this article on 10 signs you're enabling your loved one's addiction Ooh. were you enabled yes and i'm gonna read we start reading these off and then you talk to me about how those in your life enabled you perfect and when they stopped enabling, did it help you come out of your addiction? So, Absolutely. Number one, put your loved one's needs above your own. You take his or her day-to-day responsibility and normal obligations and leave yours to a lesser priority. You may find yourself changing your schedule to finish your loved one's errands, to finish his chores, uh, complete his homework oh, assignment. My poor mother. I love you, Mom, if you're listening. Um, That's a real talk, man, because yeah. I, I had uh, – why I want to talk about this is I met with a bishopric, and this enabling happens in families, nuclear families, and it happens in our ward families. And cool. we had a, a non-member uh, therapist come in and speak to this bishopric, and I was there, and, and uh, we explained to him kind of our church family and how we, we take care of our own and what, what we have going on. And he said very blunt, bluntly, he's like – Sounds like you're enabling just as much as families of addicts enable. Totally. And, and you're a word. He's like, 
you know, you're a war family, it's wonderful. You enabling does not help the addict. Totally. And so, yeah. So like, I mean, with that, I mean, my mom, uh, you know, it was just me and her and my, my, my close family. But what I was saying is I didn't really have a dad when I was younger. So I had a stepfather. So it was me and her when we were little. We shared a bed, I think, until we were 10, until I was nine, maybe not that old, maybe eight or nine. And uh, so um, I think we grew really close. And my mom, obviously, being the amazing mother that she is and loved me so much and it's natural for moms to want to love their children and give them whatever they want and whatever they're asking for. Um, but, like, when I we were reading off, like, finishing chores and things like that, my poor mom was just, I think, just loved me so much that she wanted to uh, to do to help me, and you know, which can come to a point where it becomes enabling, right? Where you're, you're finishing tasks for the individual, for the addict in this sense. So, of course, it starts with, you know, innocent things when you're young. And then if, unfortunately, like me, I led to the point where I had addictions in my life at a young age, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, she finally got to the point where she got strong and then broke that. And you share uh, on previous podcasts of Lexi doing the same thing. Yeah, right? so that, so so then being an addict, you always are looking for um, those people in your life that are going to enable the behavior because they help you, they help you in your addiction, right? They help you maintain your addiction. And, and as addicts, you know, you don't really want to change, otherwise you would, right? And so my wife was huge with that. She enabled me, um, you know, tremendously. And okay, so you me keep reading through these. Number two, you make excuses for your loved one. You may find that you do not physically, you find that you do not just physically clean up after the messes. You also do so in a more situational kind of way. You make excuses for your loved one when they cannot attend a family party. They can't wake up for school. She isn't feeling well. If your loved one doesn't finish an assignment or study, you may call them out of school early mm. or make excuses for work. Uh, the third way you may be enabling is you minimize your loved one's drug use habits or ignore the addictive and potentially dangerous behaviors altogether. You look at what your loved one's doing positively, like the fact that he still has a job, you ignore the extent of his negative behaviors. So you overlook the fact that his clothes smell like smoke or booze and there's empty bottles all around the room as long as, as long as he still gets to school or work on the next day. That was my life growing up. It's my friends, my families. I mean, that's how we were. Um, our, our, our loved ones, our, my family, as well as uh, my friends growing up. like uh, and, and share without disclosing names, those you've, been, you've sponsored quite a few people. Totally. You know, those have been opened up to you. Similar... A hundred percent. Yeah. Like a hundred percent. I mean, when you're reading this, it's literally, this is obviously written by a, a, someone who was a codependent, someone who had a child or a loved one that was an addict because word for word is how it was finishing assignments, ignoring the bottles in the room just because they have a job. I have friends and family, you know, close friends that are, that are addicts and alcoholics and um, family members and loved ones are like, Oh, but he's, he's going to work. Well, yeah, he's working in a bar <laughs> or, you know, he's, he's doing this at work and he's not making any money. So he can't pay his bills. So you end up paying his bills for him. You know what I mean? I mean, which was my life. I mean, my mom helped me pay my bills until I was like 26 years old. That's enabling, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, number Love four, you. Number four, just, you avoid the addiction altogether. This can simply be avoiding your loved one when he comes home at night, avoiding talking. It may even come in the form of taking control and punishing your loved one. This one's interesting. Without ever, without ever discussing it, you may say that they can't hang out with certain people you issue a curfew, but you never address the reality that the problem is causing the reason for these strict guidelines. Oh. And I think that with, I'm just thinking on children, like you want a lot of freedom. And then when you start seeing that a freedom abused, you don't address it. You just start setting up rules. Setting up rules. Yeah. They talked about it in the rehab. When I got sent away to, when I was 15 years old, my mom finally stopped enabling. He's like, Hey, 
I can't do this on my own. I need help. Um, am I doing that? Keep going. Okay. Uh, so uh, when when that got to the point, they taught us in that in that rehab that, that this is what happened, and that's uh, that's negative. I can't remember. It's like negative peer culture. I don't know some some psychology term of, of how to parent. And that's not how it works. And um, th- their big thing in this rehab that I went to in Utah was about positive peer culture. So if if something happened wrong and and with your child or whatever or the addict, your parents instead of taking away your bike when it had nothing to do with the fact you smoked a weed. Right, because bike has they don't correlate. Yeah. Right, and don't just punish with your bike. Talk about the address of the issue. If you're not coming home early for a certain reason, let's address why you're not coming home. You know, and just little things, and it can do with non-addicts and obviously a severe addiction. Like, let's let's talk about the triggers. Right, if someone has a pornography addiction and they keep slipping up, and you're sponsoring them or you're working with them, and yet you notice they're on Facebook and, and Instagram a lot, maybe those triggers are coming from there. Right, social media, same thing with weed and friends right they're hanging out with the same old friends yeah. and they keep relapsing well hey bro stop hanging out with people don't judge weed. me yeah don't judge me that's the response yeah, probably right of course and they, yeah. and that's the real talk that i think a good sponsor does yeah another addict right another and an addict to an addict is you you were able to call out like because well, the parent has no this is where it's hard the parent loves the kids so much my spouse, mom loves parent me, spouse, spouse. Parent, yeah love but the only one the addict's really ever going to eventually listen to is going to be another addict because the, the excuse of you don't get it, mom, or you don't get it, wife, or husband, or whoever. You don't get what it's like to be it's in my true. shoes. It's actually true. It's 100% true. That's why they yeah. use it. And yeah. they use it till it's dead, right? They use it till no one's there to listen anymore. The only person that's going to get it is another person who's been through it. Good. Wow. Okay. So uh, number five, we're, we're uh, tapping through the top 10 signs your enabler from nonenabling.com. No more enabling.com. You have uh, you have difficulty expressing your emotions to your loved ones. This may be out of fear of what your loved ones' reaction may be. And you, tr- you try to avoid the, f- the frightening situation that may come, come as a result. Hey, Jay-Z. What's up, you? bro? This is the Distracting Press uh, I know, but podcast. I like it. I like it. So podcast, sorry, we're live streaming uh, on, on Instagram. So you're going to miss out. We're live more often. Yes. Oh, boy. Uh, number six, you blame yourself. So the, the enabler blames themselves for the reason why totally, you're an addict. Totally. So my my mom, my wife. Uh, who are the big enablers in your life? My mom. Your mom, your wife. My wife. Anybody else? Um, yeah, I think friends? I can. Yeah, there were friends. I think I could get any any addict, any real true addict can get anyone to enable them because they're a master manipulator. So we're master manipulators because we're, we're survivalists, right? We're, we're suffering. And, and so therefore it's like a, it's such a disease that it'll cling to any life it can. And unfortunately this is a family disease, right? It doesn't just kill the addict and the individual, it kills the family. It's like, it's like a cancer well, cell, right? It like yeah. attaches to another cell. And you hear that a lot. Yeah. Cancer. That's, and that's what's happening. So yeah, like we all have one enable. I do notice that, Hey, if there's an addict out there still using, there's someone, there's someone in his life. Either it's another addict, right? It gets to the point where there's only this addict, right? You end up on the street and you're using with someone, right? Because eventually you'll cut off all the ties. But for the most part, there's always a loved one still left in their life. There's always a family member or a friend that's giving them money. That's you know, because they feel they feel like they messed up. And that's that's the blame. The blame. Okay. They they shaming themselves. They're shaming themselves, right? That's yeah. not their fault. It's not my mom's fault. It wasn't my wife's fault that I yeah. that I chose to use drugs and become addicted to opiates. Did you ever use that? Did you ever blame them? Of course. Okay. You can, yeah. You do whatever it takes to get them to give you money and to feel guilty so you don't feel guilty. 
So number seven, uh, the enabler blames others or situations. It's his friend's fault. It's the school's fault. It's the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. it's always the friend. When their kids are younger, I notice this right away. It's like, oh, well, it's so-and-so. We didn't hang out with that kid for a month. Yeah. I already noticed that with our parents, kids. Yeah. My, well, Lexi's like, oh, well, he got his pin moon down, but I think it's because he's hanging out. I'm like, no, you got his pin moon down because he chose to, <laughs> to make his mistakes. Like, that's nothing to do with your friends. I mean, obviously, you do want to, you know, surround yourself by good people, of course, right? You have a better chance of not drinking if you don't hang out in the bar. Good, good advice. Right. <laughs> All right, number, uh, we have three more, eight, nine, ten. Number eight, you begin to resent your loved one. So the enabler begins to resent your loved one, and you act on feelings of Brad hurt and rad. anger. Radical. Okay, I'm getting some love on that. I, I like it. Um, like it. Okay, go did, on. Say that one again. Did uh, your enablers begin to resent you, and then they acted on feelings of hurt and anger? Yeah, I feel like I, I burn. That's where you burn bridges. So I feel like uh, there were some people that enabled me. Um, my my stepfather, like there's people that like loved me and, and tried to help me. This is this is tough for you, I think. No, right. no, it's good. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't talk to these people as much okay. anymore, so it is a little tough. Um, but you know, I think uh, the resentments are there because because we didn't know how to communicate and because the the disease kept us separate. You know, my disease of being an addict is, is why I was. I'm a self selfish sob. Um, uh, no matter how people choose to act in their life, it creates a boundary in between, and so love is impossible for them. Boundaries okay. like this is devastating. So. Yeah, absolutely. Resentment that built up. And yeah. that's probably why on uh, the steps, you have to go back and break those resentments, Yeah, right? step nine. So Restitution the, in all things. Key for the 12th step is to go back and make restitution with those enablers. Yeah, you got to do them all. Well, step nine. Okay, number nine. You were So if you're an enabler, you financially support your loved one. And this one is probably pretty touchy. I, I, you mentioned He's uh, my hero, too, Tammy. Go on. <laughs> Um, whether you are spotting for rent, giving, and this is the basically this bishop I was meeting with, Bishop Rick, was they're feeling this one. Um, you know, paying for rent, paying for cell phone bills, paying. You this. heard a bishop talk about that? I was not a bishop. No, but you heard a bishop once uh, share. Didn't you listen here? It, we went to one of the wards, remember? We first started this. Who was, I don't want to say his name, but you heard a bishop who said, when Jay first came to me, oh. after been, right? Yeah. And this is, this is, this is. Go on. I mean, right? I mean, this is kind of what you're talking about. I don't know where you're going with this, oh, but I know I'll, what you're talking about. Yeah, I was just saying that you can manipulate bishops, right? You can manipulate oh. the church. Yeah, bishops are not are not super well versed in addiction. Yeah, and so sometimes they're enabling. Um, and this is one area where they may be enabling. Um, and and the tough part is, and I don't know the answer. That's what I these dear bishops have to make that spiritual call. Is they could become homeless. Like what's totally. the bottom? Like if if I if or if a parent to, or a spouse doesn't like I'm gonna pay their rent, they may be out on the street. This is happening in, with with very close to my home right now, and all I know is that um, as much as we think we're doing the addict the service by keeping them from harsh reality of life and consequences, I promise you, you are disservicing them more than you know. And uh, I was blessed to never have to go homeless, so that may come from a high chair because I did have that enabler. So maybe if I didn't, I wouldn't be saying that. But I'm pretty sure. But I've your heard... mom didn't pay you rent. She said you can stay on my couch. Yeah, but I mean, um, she would have paid me rent too. I mean, you okay. know, she would have done that. She'd do whatever she can because she loves me. But um, the hard part's when there's kids involved, right? Yeah, like, of course. It's like I had a son, right? So, yeah. um, um, but what I'm saying is, is that uh, 
I was willing to change, you know, like, and, and if the addict is not willing to start the program or to, to admit that, oh, admit that they have an issue or a problem or they're not willing to get help or go to counseling, then I'm sorry, they're lying to you and they're manipulating you. If you're the enable, you know, if you're the codependent, as we call it, if you're the parent or the spouse of the addict. So if what I'm saying is if the addict is saying, mom, just pay my rent or babe, I just need, you know, just give me a little bit of time to do this or become a better this or that. But yet they're not, okay, well, are you willing to go to this ARP meeting? Are you willing to go to an A meeting? So are you saying to... And they say no. Yeah. They got to put action. Put con conditions, conditions on this help? It's healthy boundaries. You're saying, you're saying, and this is the hard part with parents and loved ones and spouse. Set healthy boundaries. Listen, drugs are not allowed in this home. So, or in a drug test, you're free to, okay? If you want to live in my home, this is what happens, okay? On top of that, I need to see you go into a meeting. Hey, you don't like that? Don't live here. Find another place. But if you say, because usually what the addict will say is, well, I'll go to meetings. I'll change. I, I don't want this, right? Just let me live in your house. But then once they get to live in the house, they go, I don't want this. Right. I've seen this happen a hundred times yeah. with tons of people I've tried to sponsor. The parents freaking cradle the kid, and then therefore that kid never gets sober. And not just kids. I'm seeing 50-year-old couples, marriages, four kids in their home, you know, that are grown-ups like now. Like grown-ups living Grown-ups. And the dad. Or the husband is being still manip or is still manipulating and 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 being enabled by his wife of marriage of twenty plus years. You know what I mean? This happens. So what I'm saying is, you think you're helping your kid. So if you're this could so, lead so, to so if a parent or a spouse is in this stage and uh, they're contemplating placing conditions, and the fear is they'll get worse. Yeah, I think this is the, would be a real fear is. Yeah. If I put conditions and they leave my house where I can actually at least die? know, that, yeah, what, yeah, what if they die? What if they what go they overdose? They go live in the, the dealer's home. What if they die in your bedroom, you know, in their bedroom, in your house? Like, that's what's reality. Like, you're more likely to kill them by giving them money. You're more likely to kill them by not helping them with their spirituality. And uh, do you, so. You're more likely, let me say again. You're more, if you're dealing with a serious, severe drug um, addict or alcoholic and you give them money, in a place to stay even though they're active in their addiction and they're breaking their promises to you and not living by your boundaries, you're more likely to harm them than to, to help them. Is that what you, that's why they say love them. So what are, what are five conditions you would give? Uh, let's say you've got some cousin yeah. going to come live with Jay, yeah. and they, they're committed to get clean. You like know, they've come, they've come clean. Yeah. They're like, hey, we're going to have them come live with you. What are the five conditions you would place on this person? Sounds good. Five. First thing, drug test. If you're a drug addict or alcoholic, drug test. Right? How often? Um, weekly, right? And, okay. and sporadic, whenever I want. Okay. okay. So you're down uh, that? a regular time and whenever you want. Yes. It. Yep. Okay. okay. Uh, another thing, you got to have a job, right? You got to be bringing money in, and you, you know you got to be passing some of that over here for for your bills to set up a rent. Something to be accountable for. Okay. Makes them get out of bed every day. Okay. Next thing, you got to go to a meeting. Pick okay. a meeting. I don't care. You gotta get signed off. How often would you want them to go to a meeting? Um, if it's a fear addict, they need to go to one every day, but it, more likely at least one or two a week, you know, a minimum of one. Okay. Um, fourth one would be, uh, um, I don't know. I mean, th those would be my main keys right there. We're getting music out, but we're going to push pause on that and keep going. Yeah, pause stuff. that out, yeah. Okay. So, uh, so those are the things that right off the bat. So obviously, and, you know, the other fourth, I guess, would be I'm not giving you anything. Like, you know, I'm not going to give you money. Like, even when I see people on the street and I want to help them, you give an addict money, I'm telling you, if they don't have a program or they haven't even started with the steps, 
people can use that on drugs. So no cash, just no food. No cash, food, food okay. in the belly, and you know maybe I'll help you out with some clothes, but okay. everything else you got to keep those commitments, and you got to set it up with the what are the consequences if they break it before it starts. That's oh, what that's they do powerful. in these half. That's yeah. your fifth thing there. Yeah, fifth thing. What are the consequences if they because break? Because it's a contract that they're entering, and you yeah. need to make them sign it because it you're you're teaching right. Like this is a bummer that we have to teach adults like this, but this is the stuff I wish I had. Okay, and I'm 30 years old. I wish I had. Um, it's still challenging for me to keep commitments. It's still challenging for me to set goals and to meet them because we, we need to. You know, I was enabled for most of my life to to have comfortable living, sure. right? But you know what? This world's not comfortable. And when you get an addiction, it sure as hell isn't comfortable. You know? Let's do uh, the tenth. The tenth uh, sign you're enabling is you're enduring your loved one's addiction, which that means is you believe this is just a phase. That he or she will grow out of it or oh, snap yeah. out of this. Especially with weed. And you think that you'll phase. give it time and wait it out. And here, his or her drug use will stop, get lower, drug use, pornography, whatever. That, that's probably a sales thing you probably said a million times, right? Totally, oh, totally, uh, yeah. This is just a, this is normal. Listen, I've listen, heard a lot of parents listen. say that. Like When I start school, like, listen, it's just summer right now, but when I go off to college, I'm going to get my ass together. I've right. had parents tell me that this is just normal. It's normal in college. Nor- normal. I mean, it's it's kind of normal, and especially in church culture, it's not normal, but, but you know, other teenagers do this, this, and this. Totally. Um, uh, that's completely, it's a phase. It's going to go through it or... Or, or if you're if addicted to pain painkillers like I was, it's just recovery after my surgery. Once I have the surgery, then I'm gonna get off it, you know. But I need it right now until I get my surgery again on my neck or whatever it is, um, you know. That's always that's always a challenge, and so there's always an excuse. If you're dealing with an addict and you're an enabling, I promise you. When they say I'm not gonna go to the meeting, but I'll go on Tuesday, that Tuesday never comes. It'll always be next week, or next Monday, or next Friday. Always be something. Well, I think this one, this is unique for us as LDS members, right? We have word wisdom. Yep. We have a lot of chastity. Mm-hmm. So, um, so with pornography or sex or substances, there's a pretty a line that's drawn in the sand where it shouldn't be a phase. Yeah. There's no phase where drugs is acceptable. Dr- drugs, alcohol, weed, pornography, sexual stuff is acceptable. Yeah. Um, there's other things that other behaviors uh, that are more eating, acceptable. under eating, yeah, depression, um, anxiety. So those things are are overstepping. But even then, that shouldn't be a phase, right? Yeah. Um, but I think it's easier for us um, with the gospel to know what those lines are drawn, and and when you're outside of it. Yeah, but the the, the I think the the point to make here is that I read a book called The Road Less Traveled when I first got sober. It was recommended to me by uh, someone in the program. Uh, special friend and he had me read it and it's written by scott peck dr scott peck and it's written like 50 60 years ago and basically the opening line is life is difficult and as soon as we accept the fact that life is difficult we can transcend it you know i'm paraphrasing but uh i tell you what when you know if you're dealing with an addict or you're an addict yourself like it's going to be difficult to to overcome whatever it is that there is their addiction but you know, what we want to do as enablers, I'm talking about the enabler here, not the addict, we want to just look the other way. And we want to brush it on the rug is it's because that's easier. It seems easier, but I promise you a lifetime with dealing with addiction, someone who's active in their addiction who never gets recovery is the most uneasy thing you'll ever do. You'll be miserable and they'll more than likely die if it's drugs or alcohol. So the easier thing to do is to face the problem because the solution comes quicker 
and you'll actually survive the rest of your life and not just have to cling on to hope the rest of your life. You'll actually thrive and have a great life. Wow. Real talk there, Jay. That's Boom. awesome. Um, so just in closing, uh, we got these 10 things from nomoreenabling.com. I don't endorse them. Uh, I haven't been much a part of their sites, but uh, uh, I think it's a good article. I oh, think, uh, great. I mean, I want to I make sure you pass that to me. It will be on our show notes, and I'll send it to you. And then, uh, of course, sure uh, arp.lds.org. There's the spouse and family support guide. And they're going to start printing those out January 1st. So you actually they? have a hard sure? Yeah, that's what I heard. Okay, good. It's on digitally now. Hopefully January 1st, we'll get, we'll get those ordered here. The wards will have them. Lastly, go to a secular meeting. Go to, go to uh, Al-Anon. A-N-A. Al-Anon. Like Al-Anon. Oh, yeah, spouse, spouses for sure. Find an Al-Anon meeting. And they're not all the same, right? Like, of course. So you may just have to shop around. Sometimes and there are a bunch of enablers in those meetings. Yeah. And so you do want to find. But don't give up. But go figure it out. We have, an inter- we have a thing called the internet now, and it's going to save your life. Like, it's so easy. I mean, if you go on there, go to AA.com, there'll be connections to alanonmeetings.com. Yes. You know what I mean? And you can find a meeting guaranteed almost every, at least morning, lunch, and night, everywhere in every state and every country. And here's a personal challenge. If you've overcome this, if you've overcome it with a spouse, go talk to your bishop and say, President, about starting a meeting where you are. Okay. You have to people, help other people. There are people in our meetings every week that if we didn't have a meeting started, there's third generations that I totally. look. I'm like, holy crap, if we didn't do this, Jay. Like, yeah, like uh, yeah. we're just we're just a little piece in it. Um, but yeah, but I mean, but, yeah. When I got my chip this last week, when I got my 40 chip, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think about because like obviously I'm still very critical on myself and judge myself. But when when you when you look at it like that, when people show up and they're telling you all the things you've said to help them, you're like. Man, it's crazy because I thought I was just sharing. I was just doing what everyone else do- does, but going that extra mile a little bit with breaking anonymity changed my life, and obviously it's helping other people, and I'm grateful for that. It's a tremendous help. So keep yeah. it up, Jay. All right, till the next I wish you all a very Merry Christmas. And if we don't get back to you till ho, the ho, new ho. year, have Wait, a happy Santa Claus? new year. Okay. Which one are we going to do? Christmas. Okay, I didn't Christmas. say happy holidays. I said okay. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yes. All right, you guys are awesome. All right. Thanks for listening.
Life's dead.